Well, let's go to the Word of God, church. I'm coming before you today from John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 through 29. So open up your Bibles, please. Uh, don't just be satisfied with just listening to my voice. Open up the Word of God. Follow along with me. Amen. Uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. And if you're uh, writing down any notes, the title this morning is Mission Statement. Mission Statement. So we're just simply going to be talking a little bit about mission, uh, what it is. And in effect, this is a follow-up to my sermon message last week. Last week we were talking about the resurrection, etc., etc. Uh, we're going to take a look at what it is Jesus Christ was looking to establish in the hearts and lives of his people post-resurrection and prior to his ascension into heaven. Amen? John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. And the Bible reads, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. I pray that you take the opportunity, if you've got a pen or a highlighter, underline or highlight those words. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's that theme right there. Mission. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he has said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Extraordinary. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. It's the third time that Jesus Christ made that declaration. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Last verse, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Bow your hands with me once again, will you? Just for a moment. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray for wisdom this morning. We pray for knowledge from your word. We certainly pray for insight, Lord God. You know how it has been lately in our lives with this COVID-19 crisis that we're experiencing, this paralyzing effect that it has had on all of mankind in the world today, we need to hear from you this morning, Father. Give us wisdom. 
Give us knowledge and flood our hearts with understanding. We love you and we thank you so much for what you're going to do in our lives. We thank you so much for this particular message and how you are going to utilize it to inspire us as your children today. Father, we love you and we praise you. And all of God's people say, Amen. So the title is Mission Statement. I looked up, I looked up that particular word or that particular phrase in the dictionary because I, I wanted to know what, what, what is Webster's perspective on mission statement. Um, and the dictionary defines it as a brief description of a company's fundamental purpose. A brief description of a company's fundamental purpose. Uh, in effect, it actually answers the question, what does our business, why rather, why does our business exist? And I was thinking about that and I was trying to apply it to the, the, the context of Christendom, the context of the gospel, the context of Christianity, and, 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 and how we can actually transition and actually apply that particular definition uh, to the church. Experts say there are three parts to a mission statement. Number one, the target audience. Number two, the product or the service. And number three, the uniqueness of the product. Or in other words, why does the public need this particular product? And it's not difficult at all to relate these three points to the, to the gospel or, or to the church. Number one, everybody needs, everybody rather, everyone is the target audience. Everyone. I think it's quite clear that the, the, the church exists to minister to all of mankind. Not just to a, a particular segment of society, but to all of mankind. And number two, the product is the gospel, if you will. The product is the gospel, uh, but the only difference is that we're not selling this thing. We're actually giving it away freely to everyone. And, and then lastly, number three, the uniqueness of the product. Why, why does it exist? Well, obviously, um, there's nothing more unique than the gospel itself. There's nothing more unique. Than the gospel. And we know that in our hearts and our minds, everybody needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that is the, the, the application, if you will, uh, of a mission statement. And I want to, I want us to consider this concept, uh, surrounding the life of Jesus Christ. Um, because this concept, it was in effect very important to Jesus Christ. I believe it governed every facet of his life. From the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry post-resurrection, this concept of mission statement or this concept of mission actually governed every facet of his life. Simply put, he was looking to indoctrinate everyone in society who existed back then. And, and, and quite clearly in my mind, Jesus Christ is still looking to indoctrinate everybody alive on the planet here today. He appears first, consider this, he appears first to Mary Mary, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and no doubt that he, no doubt he did so for so many reasons, he, he validated their servanthood, he validated their devotion to him, he, he validated their service to him in, in so many different ways, their commitment to him, and then he appears to his disciples and everybody else. Why? Why does he appear to so many people post-resurrection? What was on his heart? What was on his mind? 
Well, quite simply, quite simply, uh, he was looking to confirm the mission that he has had established with them three years prior. I want you to think about this for a moment. Millions of souls depended on this gospel. Millions of souls depended on the mission of Jesus Christ. And we know that once, he, once Jesus Christ was crucified, there was a, 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 if you will, a catastrophe that took place in the lives of so many people. In the lives of so many people. Because now Jesus Christ has been crucified. And in so many different ways the people ran away. In so many, in so many ways the people went back to the lives that they were actually living before they came to Jesus Christ. Think of that. They, they had made so many sacrifices to follow Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden Jesus Christ is dead. And, and almost everybody seemingly returns back. They, 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 they revert back to their old ways. And so many, even the disciples. It affected them. In so many ways as well. Last week we talked about the resurrection. And the highlight of course was the, the empty tomb. Jesus triumphed over death. And thereby secured an avenue for all of man's, mankind to be saved. However this week the emphasis is not on the empty tomb. Oh, it's, it was a glorious experience. This week we want to focus our attention on the impact. The empty tomb had on mankind. The impact that the empty tomb has on you and I today. So I want to talk about the mission of the church. It's extremely important. After all, Jesus took the time to lay out some principles related to how the church should operate after his resurrection. He took the time to talk about that. One day we're going to get into the book of Acts and we're going to highlight these wonderful and important things. But just know, over and over again, Jesus emphasized the importance of his disciples going forth and making disciples of all of mankind. That was, in effect, his mission statement. Consider for a moment the way things were prior to the crucifixion. They were close. His disciples followed along closely. The world was listening in. To a message they had never heard before. And people were flocking to Jesus Christ. In fact, tens of thousands of people flocked to Jesus Christ. They wanted to hear what he had to say. But more importantly, from their standpoint, they wanted something from Jesus Christ. He was performing miracles. He was providing food and meals, etc., etc. And, and, and people came to him flocking with ulterior motives. They didn't necessarily, I made this statement once before. They didn't necessarily come for Jesus. They came for what he was able to provide to them. Fast forward to the cross. Jesus died and is buried, which in turn leaves half the nation reeling in disbelief. I mentioned this briefly a few moments ago. In the minds of many, he was now officially regarded as a charlatan. Just, just think about that. It's extraordinary. They were okay with Jesus Christ as long as he was performing miracles. They were okay with Jesus Christ as long as he was alive. But once he died, in effect so many people began to declare, oh, woe is me, he, our, our hope is gone. He is dead, he's a charlatan, he lied to us, he deceived us. What now? And so what did the masses do? 
they reverted back to their old lives in so many different ways. I want you to look at your text, John, John chapter 20, and I want you to see something, because I want to make the point that even the disciples, even the disciples wondered if He was truly the Son of God. And look with me to verse 25. John chapter 20, verse 25. Thomas said, unless I see, this is a portion of John 25, um, 2025. Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What a powerful statement. What a powerful declaration. And we would think that according to the text, he was alone with that particular sentiment, but he wasn't. He wasn't. I want you to make a note of this. Don't turn it, but make a note of um, Luke 24, verse 11. Because the message of the resurrection in that particular passage, uh, the author allows us to understand, and I quote, that it was simply an idle tale. An idle tale. That in the minds of many of the disciples, it was just simply an idle tale. In verse 21 of that same particular chapter, Luke 24, both disciples, this is the particular passage where we learn about the two disciples en route to Emmaus. And they were having a conversation, they were dialoguing, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up on the scene. They did not recognize him to be the Lord, and they had they, 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 a dialogue ensued. And they make a powerful statement to Jesus Christ, reflecting the point that I just finished making right here. Concerning the mindset of the disciples resulting from the death of Jesus Christ. The disciples, they said, verse 21, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. What does that even mean? For three years, Jesus Christ was with them. For three years, God of heaven manifested himself in their lives. And yet he dies, and they have the audacity to make a declaration just like this. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. What does it mean? It means Jesus did the unexpected when he rose from the grave. It means that Jesus did the unexpected when he rose from the grave. They, they, they did not grasp the magnitude of everything Jesus Christ tried to convey to him to them for those three years while he was in ministry. He was preparing them for the day when he would actually die. The truth is that his message was believable as long as he was performing miracles. His message or his identity was accepted as long as he was alive. And I want you to use your imagination for a little bit here. I want you to be able to, I want you to look across, I want you to look to that time when Jesus Christ was ministering to, to his disciples and ministering to the masses. And I want you to see them after his resurrection. I want you to see them sort of returning to their lives. They, 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 it's like a mass exodus in Jerusalem or a mass exodus in Israel. And the people who once followed Jesus, the people for the most part, who once made sacrifices to follow Jesus Christ, to believe in his message, they are now walking away 
returning to the lives that they were living prior to the sacrifices they made to follow Jesus. And even the disciples walked away from Jesus Christ. And thankfully for them, and thankfully for us, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, He forgave them. On the cross, I want you to picture Jesus Christ on the cross. He knows what has transpired in the lives of His people. He knows where they were in their hearts and in their minds with regard to the difficulty in believing whom He said He was, believing in His message, and He's nailed to the cross. And he makes a powerful declaration from the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. Which goes for the disciples. Which goes for every single one of them. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ forgave them. Three times. Go back to John chapter 20. And think of this the statement concerning Jesus Christ and His forgiveness for the disciples and everybody else who walked away from Him. Think about this. Three times in this one particular passage, Jesus declared His peace over them. In verse 19, in verse 21, and in verse 26. As if to say, I know where you've been and I know where your hearts are. I know where you've been And I know where your hearts are. I forgive you. And he makes this powerful declaration. Peace be unto you. Some people say it was just simply a cultural expression. But I don't believe that. I don't believe that for one moment. God forbid we lump Jesus into the same category with everybody else. Jesus Christ was different. We know that when Jesus Christ met the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he spoke words to them. They they, they made a statement concerning the, the... their hearts and their souls, how it burned within them. That's the effect or the impact that Jesus had on the people when he spoke his wonderful voice, his wonderful words. And I want you to think about how he has impacted your life and mine when he speaks to us. I don't know about you, but when I listen to the word of God, when I listen to the voice of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my heart burns within me. What a wonderful voice. What a wonderful voice it is to listen to Jesus Christ when He speaks to us. Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ is standing in the room. I want you to think about the scenario here in John chapter 20. The disciples find themselves in this particular room. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus Christ miraculously manifests Himself in their presence. He's standing in the room now with them. And to confirm it all, to confirm the the message of the gospel that he delivered to them before he was crucified. To to confirm his identity, which he declared to them for three years prior to his crucifixion. To confirm it all, to confirm the fact that he was now alive. To confirm the idea of the mission that he, he, he placed, he declared to them. He's standing in their midst. He he allows them gracefully to reach for him and to touch him. He speaks especially to, to, to Thomas, to doubting Thomas. And he says to them, Thomas, I want you to look, look, look at my hands. Touch my hands. You, you said that you would believe only if you were able to put your finger in, in, in the, in the hole of my hands. 
And he extends himself to Thomas in that way. In fact, he extends himself to the other disciples in that way as well. And he says to Thomas, I want you to put your hand in my side. And I want you to believe, I want you to recognize that I am alive. I want you to recognize that I am who I've always said I am. And that was the moment when everything came flooding back and they realized they had to make things right with him. Amazing. Amazing scene. Amazing setting. Don't you love it when Jesus Christ just simply shows up in the midst of our chaos? In the midst of our sin? He just simply shows up in the midst of our crisis? In the midst of our difficulties? He just simply shows up? Consider the pandemic that we are experiencing in. This quarantine that we are in. It's not easy. But is, is, are we alone? Isn't Jesus Christ with us? In fact, right there in your living room, right there in the comfort and the privacy of your own home, Jesus Christ, you, you need to see Him. You need to know that He is present, that He is present right there in your life, in your own home, that He has never left you, that He has never forsaken you. This is an extremely important point. Because sometimes it's difficult because we can't see Him with our naked eyes as they were able to see Him with their naked eyes. We, we had the tendency, when we find ourselves going through difficult circumstances, we have the tendency of dismissing the reality of Jesus Christ and all of His promises. How many promises has He made to you? What has He declared to you to be true concerning Him for you personally. These things are, these things are still active. He's still alive. He, he is right there in your life. Right there in your home. Now I want you to listen to the sweet words of Jesus Christ. The same thing he spoke to Thomas. The same thing he spoke to the other disciples in that one particular room. The same thing he kept reiterating over and over again to the masses as he delivered his message. As he revealed himself to them. Is peace be with you. I want you to really hear those words. It was not just simply a cultural expression. I believe with all my heart. And with all my mind. With all my soul. That he declared those same those words. With the same unction. With the same weight. With the same power. With the same significance. That he did to them. Moments before, rather long before. You remember those instances when they found themselves with him crossing the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. Those many occasions when there was a storm, wind was blowing. He, he made the, state, the same statement to them over and over again. Peace be with you. And those words possess so much power that, that through those words, with those words, by those words, He silenced the storm in their life. It's the same thing that He is declaring to you and I here today. Going through whatever it is that you and I are going through. He's saying, peace be unto you. I want you to look at verse 21. Or the latter half of verse 21 in chapter 20. Because this is where Jesus gives... His mission statement to his disciples. Remember, we're, we're talking about we're talking about a post-resurrection encounter with Jesus Christ. And in this particular verse, I believe he lays out his mission statement. 
He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is the theme of this one particular message. Jesus is always looking to firmly establish relationships with people so that they in turn may go forth in His name. That's the mission of the church. And as a result of this empowerment, the disciples in fact did indeed go forth. They survived the immediate wave of persecution from the Romans, from the Jews. They survived later Saul of Tarsus. And the gospel message continued to go forth. Um, just simply use your imagination. They survived the destruction of Jerusalem and they survived the Romans. And ultimately, as a result of their resolve, you and I are here because of it. You and I know Jesus Christ today because of their resolve. Remember, we're talking about the mission that Jesus Christ had placed on them. And the same burden rests upon our shoulders as well. The same burden. Nothing has changed. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus is not dead. His message and His mission are just, if not more important today, as it was back then. Today there are more people on the planet. Today we have billions of people on the planet. They just had, I don't know, hundreds of thousands or, or, or millions I think in my mind the message of Jesus Christ the gospel is more important today than it was back then. Because there are so many people who depend upon the message of Jesus Christ. They need to hear it. In the same way he revitalized his disciples and thousands of others with the hope of salvation and the peace to resolve all circumstances. He has done the same thing for you and I today. In effect he's reaching into our lives. In so many different ways. To silence everything that has exalted itself against the knowledge of God. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 and 5. If, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe somebody can, can type in uh, to Tim and confirm that for me. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5. And it's not just COVID-19 either. You know, we're talking about silencing the storms in our lives. Jesus Christ is doing that for us. And it's not just simply COVID-19. It's the other health concern that concerns as well. It's the financial issues that we're dealing with today. It's the fear that seems to be paralyzing us on so many different levels. It's the marital issues that we, that we are struggling with today as well. Some of you may be struggling in that particular area. It's all the other things that, that somehow have exalted themselves in our lives to sort of paralyze us from the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us as a church. It's about the loss of perspective relating to the things that matter most in life. Jesus is saying, I'm alive. I want you to hear him say this and declare this, dec declare this powerfully in your spirit. Jesus is saying, I'm alive. Stir yourselves up and believe it. Allow the news of my resurrection to invade every facet of your lives. He's making this powerful declaration to you and I today. Peace be unto you. There's a reason why he wants us to be free. There's a reason why he wants us to be at peace. It's because the mission 
of the gospel must continue. The body of Christ has a role to fulfill. This particular church has a role to fulfill in these last days. All of these things are significant. And while you ponder that, while you're thinking about that, here's the first point that we have for us this morning. Number one, recognize your place. Recognize your place. It's true, COVID-19 is kicking our butts, isn't it? It's taking a toll on us, I'm sure. And yet Jesus is saying to us today the same thing he told Thomas long ago. Look at your passage once again. Verse 27. He said, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Church, Jesus is alive and he is with us today. He's asking us to trust him during this crisis that we find ourselves in. He wants us to recognize our place by responding the way Thomas responded. He's, rec- he's asking us to recognize our place and, and, and for us to respond the way all of this, the disciples responded so long ago. Look at verse um, 28. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. They seem to be simple, simple words to use. I've used them many times myself. But oh, how difficult it is to actually utter those words from the depths of our souls, from the depths of our our hearts, our experience, when we find ourselves going through difficult circumstances. Oh, it's not easy to to declare those words, right? Doing those signs. But he's asking us to do so. He's asking us to take him personally. To invite him in and to allow him to influence every facet of our lives. He's asking us to recognize our place in the kingdom of God. And secondly, we need to live as if Christ is risen. That was a challenge that he gave to the disciples long ago. In that particular room. And prior to the crucifixion, after the resurrection, for the rest of our, for the rest of their lives and for the rest of our lives, Jesus Christ is asking us to live as if Christ indeed has risen. Has he risen? Do you believe that? Is that reality affecting every part of your life? Do you look to him for comfort? When you find yourself struggling, going through whatever it is you're struggling with. You know, I'm I'm reminded of a verse that that Tim shared with us the other day. Maybe yesterday or the day before. Uh, I viewed his video. Many of you probably have as well. He shared a, 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 a brief devotion to us from Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2. It's one of the very first verses that I memorized long ago. I think it was... Um, early 1990, Isaiah 43, verse 2. And I think those words are fitting for us. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. What a loaded verse. In effect, we begin to truly experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ 
when, when we embrace the assurances contained in verses just like that one. Think about that verse. In fact, I encourage you to make that your signature verse, at least for today. Memorize that verse. I'm going to read it to you again. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. He's asking us to live as if he has risen. I want to illustrate this. Because I want you to think about this concept. Is there anything worse than for God's people to live as if Christ has not risen? Is there anything worse than that? I, I, don't, I don't really think so at all. And here's an illustration for you. If you want, you can go with me. I'm not necessarily going to read any, any of the passage. But this is the Luke chapter 15, I believe it is. The story of the prodigal son. You remember that story, right? You remember the story about the older brother and how he reacted to the news concerning his younger brother's return home after he had spent his, his inheritance on riotous living, on prostitutes, on drugs, on alcoholism, and everything else that he can get his hands on. Again, with riotous living. He comes home. His brother hears, his brother hears music and dancing. He's out on the field doing what he's always done. Handling his responsibility. And he asked the servants, what, what's going on? Why the music? Why the celebration? And they tell him that it's a celebration for his brother because his brother had returned. And his brother kind of, you know, he feels some type of way. He's infuriated with jealousy. And he goes and he confronts his father. And he essentially asks his father, Father, uh, why haven't you celebrated me? In this way, why haven't you allowed me to celebrate with my friends in the same way that you're celebrating for uh, my younger brother here today? Why not? Now I want you to think about this because this is crucially important to this one particular point that we're making here. We need to live as if Christ is risen. His father responds by saying, Son, you are always with me. Or, you have always been with me, depending on the version that you have. And all that belongs to me is yours as well. Wow! What a powerful statement. Son, you have always been with me. And all that belongs to me has always belonged to you. This kind of challenges our perspective when we're going through difficult times, doesn't it? We are children of God, church. He, this is the moral of, that, of this particular point. We are children of God, and, and we have always been regarded by God as special. Amen? We have always been regarded by God as a special people. We have always had access to all that Calvary means. I think it's encouraging to us that we should always live as if Christ indeed has risen. Think about that. I think we need to take ownership of that reality. And we need, to, we need to allow the Word of God. We need to allow the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Lord to challenge our perspective. Not just when we're going through difficult times, but at all times. 
What is it about difficult times that causes us to lose sight of the things that matter most? What is it about difficulties that allows us to lose sight of our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm a child of God. How about you? We are children of God. And we have access to all that Calvary means. We are children of God. And we need to know that God, we've, I, I know I sound like a broken record by now. He has never forsaken us. He has never abandoned us. In Philippians 4.19, I think, I've, I think I shared this with you once before as well. Paul the Apostle makes this, this statement concerning the provision that exists in heaven that we have access to. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. We are children of God. God is asking us to live knowing that Jesus Christ has indeed risen. And that the tomb is indeed empty. Point number three. The mission of the church has not changed. The mission of the church has not changed. And I want you to go with me, please, if you will. I want you to go, because I want you to see this for yourself. I want you to go to Acts chapter 1. Because I know that sometimes it seems as if the mission of the church has changed. But the reality is the mission of the church has never changed. Uh, for the For the first century Christians, especially when they found themselves struggling at the hands of the Romans... And then remember what I stated earlier. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Can you imagine how they must have felt? The disciples had absorbed so much information from Jesus Christ over the years. They knew what the mission was. They made sacrifices. But all of a sudden Jesus is dead. They're persecuted. And so much transpires in the nation of Israel. So many people walked away from Jesus Christ. So many people returned to their old lives. And they believed, they began to believe that the mission of the church had ceased. That it stopped. And, and in so many ways, you and I today, in Christianity today, I don't think the church is where it should be. I don't think the disposition, if you will, of the church is where it should be. I don't think we are as healthy as we should be. And it has to do with our perspective. We, we somehow have lost sight of the mission that Jesus Christ has placed us on. Now I want you to see this in Acts chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Verse 2 reads, Until the day when he was taken up, I should have read the preceding verse as well, but it reads, Until the day when he was taken up, after, after he had given commands, and by the way, after he had given commands, will you underline that or highlight that? Because it speaks to our point. After, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Highlight that as well. Speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Underline that as well. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 
Here's a better way that you can probably understand. Now let's see that we can let's see if we can break this down a little bit. A clearer way of looking at this. Number one, in verse two, Jesus Christ shared policy with them. Jesus Christ shared policy with them. He can establish parameters, guidelines, if you will, precepts to live by. If we will, I, I, I think we can relate because right now we are adhering to our government's guidelines, right? They want us to quarantine. They want us to be isolated. They want us to, they, they want us to remain in our home so that we can kind of stem the tide of this, the, the, the advancement of this virus that exists in society today, right? Well, Jesus Christ, in effect, did the same thing so long ago. Uh, it, it's why we live by uh, certain certain rules, certain commandments, certain precepts that Jesus Christ has given us. And I think these are important in the body of Christ today. In other words, the goal was to keep them Christ-centered. It's the reason why the Lord has given us uh, these parameters or these guidelines that we know, that we perpetuate in Christendom today. He wants to keep us Christ-centered. And that hasn't changed. It has never changed. It's a mission. It's vital to the mission of the church. Secondly, or rather, before I go into that second point concerning these verses in Acts, I want you to make note of this particular verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul the Apostle says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I think that speaks volumes to you and I as Christians. Yes, we have this wonderful freedom in Christ Jesus today, but it does not mean that we have the liberty to do whatever it is that we want to do with our lives, right? No, that's not the case. It, it, another version reads, all things are permissible, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. They're not beneficial to us. There's a right and there's a wrong that you and I need to live. Secondly, look at verse 3. Because in this one particular verse, Jesus Christ, what he was actually doing is that he was casting vision about the purpose of the church. He was casting vision about the purpose of of the church. The verse reads, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And speaking about the kingdom of God. Just think of that. For 40 days after his resurrection, he was casting vision about the mission of the church. He was casting vision about the mission of the church. So the, the, the mission expresses or explains the purpose of the church. The vision allows us to understand how we realize or fulfill the mission of the church. And I think that's extremely important. Because Jesus Christ showed up in that particular room. They thought he was dead. Clearly, at least in my mind, they didn't expect to see him. Yet he shows up in that particular room. He confirms his uh, the fact that he was alive. He confirms that. He said, touch me. Handle me. I'm alive. 
Then he challenges them. Kind of confirms. And then all of a sudden everything that he had preached to them. Kind of came flooding back into their hearts. Flooding back into their minds. And he challenges them to continue with the mission he had given to them so many years prior. He begins to talk to them about the, the, the kingdom of God. And he casts vision. And he instructs them on how to proceed with the gospel. How to proceed with realizing the mission of the church. And just think. This one particular passage allows us to understand that for during those 40 days, as he was talking to them about the kingdom of God, he was meeting the needs of the people in society. The Bible says that he went on to perform many, many, many wonderful things. Many miracles were performed after the resurrection. Because he wanted to confirm the same thing he confirmed in the hearts and minds of the disciples concerning his existence. Concerning the fact that he was alive. Concerning the fact that the mission had to proceed. Had to continue going forward. The masses needed to receive that as well. The masses needed to know that Jesus Christ was alive. And what a difference indeed it made in their lives. We thank Jesus Christ for that. I thank Jesus Christ for affirming these wonderful truths uh, to his disciples. Because as a result... We understand that according to the word of God, especially the, all the wonderful things that we read about in the book of Acts, they actually went forth to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with power, the Bible allows us to understand. With power. And lastly, the third point, he gave them instructions. He gave them instructions for carrying out his vision. And I want you to see that in verse 4. Verse 4 reads, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. That was the instruction he gave them. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Which he said, they heard, you heard from me. They were supposed to wait in Jerusalem until they, until they received the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. It, it speaks to instructions, the instructions that Jesus Christ. I, I know that it may seem as an exaggeration. He ordered them to stay in Jerusalem. But I want, you to, I want you to amplify that just a little bit. Because it makes perfect sense in my mind. Jesus Christ gives me instructions. My wife and I traveled to California because Jesus Christ has given us instructions. The instructions about carrying out or realizing the mission of the church. Realizing the, the vision that he gave me so long ago. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. But that's irrelevant. I'm here because he has given me a mandate. He's given me instructions. How about you? What's he declared to you about the mission that he wants you to fulfill? What has he declared to you that only you can fulfill? I can't fulfill uh, your vision for you or his vision for you what has he instructed you with how has he equipped you because that's what happened in this one particular text we learn about the, the amazing experience that they had he instructed them to stay in Jerusalem and what happened a short time later just 10 days later Pentecost happened they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
They were endowed with power from on high. They spoke in tongues in different languages. People heard the message of the gospel in different languages, in their own languages. And they went forth with power, with glory, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is alive. Uh, uh, validating the message of Jesus Christ through the, 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 the many miracles that they actually performed. And as a result, the advancement of the kingdom of God went forth. At the close, how about you and I today? How about you and I here today? Number one, have you recognized your place in the kingdom? Have you taken ownership today that Jesus Christ is alive and the tomb is empty? Have you done that today? Secondly, are we living as if Christ has risen? It's a different emphasis than the first point. Are we living? It's one thing to understand, to believe that He's alive. It's another, altogether differently, to actually begin to live as if the tomb is empty. To live as if, indeed, He is alive. Remember, we are children of the Most High. And remember the illustration of the prodigal son. Or at least regarding the older brother and the way that he responded to the news of his younger brother's return. He felt some type of way. He was infuriated. Remember, we are children of God. And everything that belongs to God belongs to us. Jesus Christ talked about this. John chapter 14, John chapter 16, and so many other different passages. Philippians 4.19. These are all very important truths, important principles. And lastly, we are part of the church and there is work to be done. You and I are part of the body of Christ here today. And there's so much work to be done. Many, <clears throat> may we place our hands on the plow and do whatever is needed to advance the kingdom of God here today. There's a mission, church. There's a mission that we must fulfill. Jesus Christ has laid out his mission statement for the church. Now, I know that oftentimes it's difficult. I've said, I've said this many times before. You know it. Some of you are having a difficult time catching your breath, metaphorically speaking. Some of you are having a difficult time with this circumstance. Or other circumstances that are part of your, your life. Things that serve to distract. Remember, Jesus Christ loves us. He is with us. He is with us with all power. With all might, with all glory. He's never going to abandon us. He's with us. One day very soon we're going to talk about prophecy. We're going to lay out some prophecies from the word of God. So that we can understand where we are with God's prophetic timeline. I think that's very important. Right? But until then just know that we are indeed living in the last days. And it's extremely important for you and I to stay resolute. It's extremely important for you and I to stay focused, not just on our personal salvation, but on the mission, on the mission at hand. Amen, church? Why don't you bow your heads with me right where you are, and let's pray together. Let's, let's ask God to strengthen us. Let's ask God to bless us. Let's ask the Lord to renew our perspective. Don't wait for me. Go ahead and bow your heads, please. I, I can't see you, but by faith I'm asking God to really minister to you right where you are. 
Why don't you just bow your heads with me? God wants to make a wonderful difference in our lives. He wants us to fulfill his mission. Father, we thank you so much today. Lord, I'm, I join in with my brothers and my sisters. This thing has taken its toll in my life. I'm so desperate for things to go back to normal. I'm so looking forward to the time when we will be able to come together again right here in this sanctuary. I want that so badly, Lord God. Wearing masks, isolating ourselves, this quarantine issue, these new guidelines that we are being subjected to. When is it going to end, Lord God? When is it going to end? We need your strength, Lord. We need your wisdom. We need your knowledge. We need your understanding. We, we want to be resolute. We want to be mission-oriented. But sometimes it's so difficult, Lord God, to identify with Christianity, especially when times are tough like the way they are. Sometimes it's just so difficult to, to, to believe that the tomb is empty. We, we know that it is, psychologically. We, we even place our faith on it. We, we know you personally. But sometimes it just becomes so overwhelming, Lord God, to live this thing out. Sometimes we have more questions than answers. And we say, why, Lord? Why, why are all these things happening right now the way that they are? Our children, Lord, why are these things happening? Yet you say to us today, like you said to the, to the disciples so long ago, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And you look to silence the storms in our lives so that we can focus, so that you can speak into our lives your guidelines, your precepts, your instructions, and all those other wonderful things to empower us, to help us to realize that we need to, we need to continue pressing forward. Father, help us to do that. Help us to do that. Help us to understand that more today than ever before. We love you and we thank you so much for it. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Church, I love you. I thank you so much for tuning in. I thank you so much for being a part of this fellowship. You play a significant role. And sometimes it's difficult for us to communicate, to actually interact, to get together, etc., especially during this time. But please know that I love you with all of my heart. Sometimes I don't know what to do with myself thinking about all of you. Really, that's true. It, it overwhelms me because I'm people-oriented. I just can't help it. I'm people oriented. I may not be the best at delivering the word of God or, or some other things associated with, with, with church. But I know that I love you. And I know that I want to serve you. I know that I want to serve God by serving you. Please be well. Please be safe. And let us worship together. We're going to close with a final song. I'm not sure what the name of it is. 
I did, but I forgot it. But let us worship together this closing song until we meet again like this or in heaven's glory. God bless you. And remember Jesus' words. Peace be with you. God bless you, church. Amen.